chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 13 and 14, and we're going to look at the importance of specific instructions, specific instructions. Um, No doubt about it, Jesus came to earth, lived a sinless life, died on a cross, shed his blood, paid the, the price for the forgiveness of our sin, rose from the dead, and is alive today, amen? And he said that he had done all that to provide abundant life. Now, I remember 20 some odd years ago, I was a baby little chick just hatched out of an egg, a little baby Christian, and I was going to church, and I'm thinking, man, you know, I'm thinking abundant life. I'm just, you know. And to be honest with you, I ran into a lot of discouragement. It was a lot of churchianity, if you know what I mean by that, a lot of church stuff going on, just a lot of stuff that just rubbed me the wrong way. And so I asked God, I said, you know, what's going on? Now, there might have been different reasons for that, because what's going on in one person might be different than what needs to be going on in me. So you don't connect. Okay, so that, that's one reason. Other, there were other reasons as well. Maybe uh, you, you probably know why the reasons are. But at the end of that little conversation, God told me I still needed to learn a whole lot of stuff. There was a lot for me to learn. And one of the things that I ran across is here in Matthew, yes, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. We'll go ahead and read this. It said, Jesus is speaking. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. And that, that scripture of, there's many others that stuck with me. And as you begin to hear the scripture, hear the words of Jesus, you realize that not every little example that he uses is literal to the T. Like, if it was literal, if this passage was literal to the T, then we'd have to go outside and look for a narrow gate somewhere. Like, you'd have to open up your front door and couldn't leave until you crossed through a narrow gate in your front yard, and poof, there you go. So it's not literal to the T. It's figurative to some degree. Amen? You have to enter into the narrow gate. So what does that mean? A narrow gate is a gate that's been reduced down. It's not just some broad, sweeping concept, whatever you want or whatever everybody wants. It's reduced to some specific concepts. And this is what you need to go through, not just whatever. So somewhere out there, Jesus is saying you need to define where it's been reduced to some specifics. The word narrow in Greek is stenos, which means narrow, but the implication is to narrow down to a specifically defined path, specifically defined for you. You just can't wake up tomorrow and be like, lo que será, será. Whatever will be, will be. I'm free, free, free. And just dance around and just think everything's going to be. No, there's a little bit more to it than that. You have to ask. You have to seek. You have to question. You have to learn specific things in the morning for your day. And God needs to be able to explain to you what he's trying to say to you. 
right? And as you begin to hear specific plans for that day, you begin to have an idea of the reduced, specified task for that day for you. It's narrowed down. Because I don't know about you, but in the morning, man, I'm just, you know, you know, whatever. Who knows what could happen in a day? But slowly but surely, you know what I mean? You begin to kind of, concepts begin to clarify in your mind. And maybe you make a list of things that you've got to get done that day. And as you make that list, now you know, okay, i got to get this stuff down. Now, <clears throat> this problem is very common today and is common throughout history, especially in the church. This is something I want to take a little time to talk about. The early church was defined by specifics. Paul knew, I am called to preach to the Gentiles. I am to go here, and then I'm going to go there, and I'm not supposed to go there. And he would argue, but God, I want to go there. And God's like, you're not going there. You're going to die if you go there. You go here. right? Peter went to the, the, the Jewish people. There were specifics if you look at that stuff. And as a church developed in all of its power, it was because the specifics brought forth life. They didn't just do whatever they wanted to do. They did what Jesus told them to do. They were doing the will of God, and it brought amazing, amazing life all around them. But as that church world grew, and as it developed, the other powers to be began to recognize, man, who are these people? These are the ones who are turned the world upside down. These are the worlds that, these are the ones that no matter how many times we kill them, their numbers continue to increase. They could not stop the growth of the church no matter how powerful they were, no matter what they did, no matter how much hatred they had, it was unstoppable. And so finally they gave in and they said, forget this, we're just going to adopt their God. We're going to just bring them into the inner circle and we'll promote our our rule, our government, our kingdom with their God. And you'll see a shift in church history to where instead of being persecuted by the then known world, the then known world began to transform because they adopted Christianity as their religion. You following me? And as they did that, it, it worked out pretty good for a while. I mean, man, they were, they took down Rome and they, you know, they were building, you know, all that they needed to build and things were getting established and it was very progressive. But eventually the, the powers that be decided, hey, you know what? We got this thing called the church and all these people are flocking to it. Why don't we just use that to our benefit? Why don't we take the church and you know, what are we getting out of it for ourselves? Like we're kings and stuff, man. We got to get, you know, like money and stuff and build our empire. The church is there for us. And so they developed this concept of uh, one leader over the entire church, one big uh, pastor, let's call him, right? And, and, and he would be the, the leader over everybody. And that, again, that worked out for a little bit until that leader was kind of corrupt. And he's like, the kings are like, hey, leader, you know, you do us a favor, we'll do you a favor. You know what I mean? And he's like, I know what you mean. And so slowly, church government began to change. It wasn't specifics what Jesus told them to do. It's like, ah, don't worry about that. Actually, we're going to have to get rid of this Jesus guy. We'll just put him on a little picture on the side of the wall. And the Bible definitely don't want people to have the Bible. 
we'll, we'll, we'll put it in Latin, we'll chain it to the side of the wall so nobody can read it and we won't print it. Right? So nobody, you know, we won't copy it. Nobody will have the Bible. So that we'll tell them, you can't go to Jesus, you got to go through us, the priests. The church is the only way to God. Not Jesus, no. Actually, you know what we're going to do? Let's come up with some idols here. You could go through uh, St. Peter. You could go through Peter, but can't go through Jesus. Don't pray to Jesus, pray to Peter. Pray to Paul, pray to whoever. And all of a sudden, slowly but surely as the years went by, if you notice church history, they stopped praying to Jesus and start praying to, you name somebody. They come up with all sorts of people to pray to. They stop like trying to learn the scriptures and the scriptures were only for the chosen scholars, priests that were spiritually able to discern the truth of the Bible and read the Latin. And people had no idea what any of the scriptures actually said. I know it might be hard for you to understand, but it was, they were completely isolated from the scriptures. They were completely isolated from Jesus. They were fed all sorts of stuff. And as the years went by, it was more whatever the church wanted to do and had nothing to do with what God wanted to do. And the church body as a whole were just taking advantage, taking advantage take for their benefit. It was a very broad way. You know, they were coming up with everything. One of the things they came up with was this thing called indulgences, which was a certificate signed by the Pope. And he'd signed just thousands of them. And uh, they said, you know, if you want forgiveness of sin, you got to come confess to the, to the past, the priest, and you got to buy this certificate. And there's a partial forgiveness, and there's a full forgiveness. Depends on how much money you got. You got a lot of money, you can get full forgiveness. It's come. 1995, you get full forgiveness. Come on, come on. And they're like, ooh, I got 1999, 95. All right, you got it. Only got $5. Well, that's going to be a one-fourth pardon. One-fourth pardon. Here's a certificate. One-fourth pardon. They'd be like, all right. And then they, they, they amplified their empire. And then they decided, you know what? We're going to make them buy forgiveness for their dead loved ones that, are, that, that, that I didn't make it. To, we're going to tell them they didn't make it to heaven. They're in like a waiting area. And if you buy this certificate, you can get their sins forgiven. And if not, then they're not. They're stuck in this this place, and they, you know, they can't get out. So you, you really need to work hard and bring your money to the church, on and on and on. It was, a, it was an empire. It was a business. Are you following me? And, and unbelievably so, it was the church. So the church was not entering in by a narrow gate. There was no more narrow gate. It was whatever they could come up with, whatever they wanted to do. And that went on, they call it the dark ages, because that went on for over a thousand years. That was a long time to just run a scam, you know. And finally, the, they ran into a few problems, and almost every time their problems had to do with these scholars. Scholars who would study theology in the universities would discover the, uh, that, you know, as they read the Bible for themselves, that none of this was in the Bible, not any of it. And actually, the, the specific instructions of the Bible were completely different. You weren't supposed to go to a priest to be forgiven or a church to receive the forgiveness of your sin. You had to go directly from Jesus. You couldn't be justified by God by doing a thousand different for the church. You could only be received it as a gift of righteousness from Jesus himself. 
And they begin to proclaim all this stuff and say, man, you guys are crazy. And as soon as they would say that, church world would say, anybody that speaks against us, God has said, must be put to death. And so they would grab these guys and like burn them at the stake, uh, drown them. And they, they killed a lot of people, let's just put it that way. Have you ever heard of a guy named John Wy Wycliffe? John Wycliffe, uh, he was uh, from the 1300s in England. He was one of the guys that, that was a scholar and started reading the Bible. And his big thing was, hey, if I can learn this stuff, everybody can learn this stuff. But there's one problem. They speak English. They're in England. Nobody has a Bible. If we just translate the Bible from Latin to English, it will liberate our entire people. So he had this fantastic idea. I'm going to translate the Bible into English. Ooh, man, the church was ready to cut that dude's head off. He had to hide, you know, he had to hide, you know, tuck him away because they were out to kill him. Why? He just wanted to let them learn the specific instructions God actually wanted to tell him. This guy named John Huss, 1400s, same thing. He spoke out against all this stuff about indulgences and forgiveness and where it's actually to be found in Jesus. They grabbed him, tied him to a stake, and lit him on fire. Uh, he was uh, one of the leading theologians of his day. 1500s, ever heard of a guy named Martin Luther? Martin Luther decided, you know, this is just insane. Martin Luther was actually a, a, a highly trained lawyer. He uh, got his master's degree. He was, he was a pure-blooded lawyer, detailed man. And he survived some crazy storm. And in the storm, he said, if I survive this, I will become a monk. I will give my life to God. He was so freaked out. And so he, he survived it. And so like seven days later, he joined the monastery. But in the monastery, he's like, man, these dudes are really weird. You know, they just believe all sorts of weird stuff. You know? And it, he would read and read and read on his own and read on his own. And finally, he got to the point, he's like, this is so crazy, has nothing to do with specific instructions that, 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 that he couldn't take it anymore. He wrote 95 theses, 95 things that he had to complain against the then known church world. 95, that's a lot. That's a pretty broad road. 95 different insanities, let's put it. And how did the church react to Martin Luther? We're going to kill him. We're going to get him. And they were really after him. Some guy scooped him up, hit him in a castle. And he decided, well, if I'm stuck here in a castle, the only thing I can do is translate the Bible from Latin to German, because he was from Germany. And uh, he spent his days doing that, and finally he died. And on and on and on. But with Martin Luther, it was finally the tipping point. You've heard of the, the reform movement. People finally caught on. This is not in the scriptures. Finally, the people began to, to see the light. They began to have the Bible in English, the Bible in German. They began to read it for themselves. They began to understand that they were being taken advantage of, you know, majorly, and that God, Jesus himself, had something specific to say to them. And as they learned that, they were, they were revolting against the then-known church. And what did the church decide to do? Just kill them all. You know that the then-known church killed more people during the reform movement, during the dark ages, than during the early church. The church killed more of its own people than the Romans killed the Christians. Are you following me? The church. But it's a church, <clears throat> I know I can speak, it's a church that saw the broad road. 
is a church that saw what it could get from it, that lost its government, that lost its sense of direction, and took over, man took it over. Now, you know and I know the head of the church is who? Somebody said over here, Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. And it's Jesus who sends the instruction. You know that the ultimate authority over our lives is the scriptures. And the scriptures speak to us specific things. And as uh, we look at that, we have to ask ourselves, what specific things is he telling us? What is he trying to say to us? Right? Uh, what, what is it that's so important that, that, that he, he did all this for us to learn? And as we look at that, we'll see that there are specific things for you. And we don't want to follow a broad road. We don't want to follow uh, just what man comes up with. Today that happens too, if you're not careful. There's some pretty broad sweeping concepts out there. I'm not a big fan of Christian TV and sometimes even Christian radio, although all that can be used by God. But a lot of it sickens me most of the time. That's just my personal opinion. I would much rather just hear it directly from the scripture itself. But I'm not going to throw out the baby with the bathwater, so just you know, bear with me. I don't know. Maybe you've had that experience as well. If you don't think some of this broad, sweeping stuff is happening today, I guarantee you it is all over the place. But let us remember today that God says, Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. What is the narrow gate in your life? What is he reducing down to specific things day in and day out in your life? You know, that's a life or death question right there. That's a game changer right there. If you in your lifetime before all eternity can have the interest to find what is being reduced down to you, I don't know what that is. I'm definitely not Jesus. But if you and Jesus can come to the conclusions and you can identify those things and you can begin to t make those things happen, according to Matthew 13, 14, you will find life. You will bring forth life. Now, you might think, ah, oh, whippy doo dah, I mean, whatever, you know, we just go to Walt Disney World and Six Flags and spend money and find life. But pleasure and thrill is not necessarily life. If you like Walt Disney World, Six Flags, that's cool. I get it. But I'm not a huge fan of Disney World, but that's just me. I, I'm still, I'll get there one day. But life, life is, is different. Life is, is, is a gift of God. Life, let's just put it this way, is very important. It's very important. Um, NASA has a uh, interesting bunch of data They've, uh, of course, launched a bunch of astronauts into space, and they have constantly running all these tests, and they're trying to find life out there in outer space. And so they got all these mach machinery things all over the world and up in the sky, broadcasting out, 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 out. I don't know if you've looked up at the sky at night and seen all the stars. And the best they've been able to determine <clears throat> that in order for us to leave the Milky Way, it'd be about 25,000 light years just to get out of our galaxy. The next galaxy after ours 
is about 70,000 light years away, according to them. They've found that there's another one about 180,000 light years away. Another one, two and a half million. Another one, 56 million. Another one, 13 billion. And then they just get lost. And, like, and then there's like Googleplex. They're just beyond our, and we just don't even know how many. They're just out there everywhere. But they're really far away. Now, I don't know if you and I understand what a light year is, but a light year is like really, really, really far away. Just one. The fastest rocket that we have come up with in our modern technology goes 33,000 miles per hour. So if you're going down Brook Lane at 33,000 miles per hour, the little gun that the cops got, the, you know, it's just going to, and you'd be like, he's not going to get you. 33,000 miles per hour is pretty darn fast. It's a whole lot faster than the 47 you're going and getting pulled over and getting a ticket for. 33,000 miles per hour. But at 33,000 miles per hour, to go one light year, guess how long it'd take you? 21,000 years. That's just go one light year. So to go the fastest speed we can possibly go today and to leave the Milky Way and just begin our journey into space, the final frontier, guess how long it would take just to get out of the Milky Way? You ready? Going 33,000 miles per hour, it would take 500 million years just to get out of our galaxy. That's just starting off. It's like you left Alabama and you're about to get into where, you know, if you're going, you're traveling to Alaska, you just barely cracked out Alabama, but you got a long way to go. Uh, 500 million years at our current technology just to get out of the Milky Way. And it just amplifies after that. So, I don't know, I guess you could just say it's a really long trip. And we are, so the astronauts have dis, de determined like, we are completely alone. Like, it's so vast. And then all of a sudden, out there in outer space, they can turn their little thing and look down, and they see this blue planet. And like in the middle of literally nowhere, beyond nowhere, beyond nowhere, there's this one little blue planet that actually has life that we call home. And they're like, it's the most amazing planet. It's the most amazing thing because as far as we know, that's it, man. It's like there's nothing, there's no other life. There's nothing nearby. We are alone and we have one planet. And they're just baffled. They're just, and, you know, they interview the astronauts when they come back to Earth. And, you know, they just love you know, to, to smell the smells and to, to feel the air and to be back on the planet. And, the, you know, the beauty of what they saw, they call it the overview experience. Have you ever heard of that? This experience that astronauts have when they see the planet as an overview. And, and they just feel the interconnectedness of the planet. And, you know, and a lot of them don't know it, but it's the creation of God. It's a miracle of God. And it's the only one that has life, naturally, of course, spiritually. We open up a whole other can of work. If we talk spiritually, it's different, All right? Heaven, spiritual, you get it? That's a whole other subject. But naturally, you have one creation. You have one source of life. It's a miracle. And as they get down on earth, they realize how important life is. Like, we take it for granted, but it's like, this is it. This is it. There's nothing else. It's this or nothing. This is our one shot, and then when we die, we're done. See what I'm saying? So you like you have this only one planet, this only place of life, our one shot, 
and then, then we're like, well, what do we do? Because there's all sorts of divisions and countries and problems. And, and then Jesus says, if you want to find life, it's a narrow gate. Now, you can believe that or you can disregard that. You can go off and do whatever you think is life. But there's two roads. There's a broad road. It leads to destruction. The word destruction means you're missing out. It doesn't mean annihilation. It doesn't mean just one day, you know, just fire just burns you and you just turn into ash. Destruction, that, that word is, is meaning you're, you missed out. You, you, you had your one shot. You had your experience. But you missed, you missed it. You, 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 you didn't participate. You know, you, it's like a loss. Um, <clears throat> obviously, the contrast there is to find the life. The life says, in verse 14, it says that, that only comes through a, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. The word narrow we talked about, the word difficult means a rubbing together like a compression. You know, once you know the specific task that you're supposed to do, it's not always going to be easy. Maybe not everybody around you is going to do those tasks that day. Have you ever had a day where you had a list and you were going to do something and then you have this silly thing called a cell phone and bring, 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 and you, hello? Oh, hi, Mr. McClellan. Uh, today you have to go do such and such. I'm like, oh, I hate my cell phone because I already have stuff that, you know, have you ever had that happen to you? You know, and then you might have more than one call in one day. Sometimes I have, let's just say, a dozen or so phone calls in one day. And I'm trying to stay focused on the task that I feel like. Now, some of those calls are important, but some of them are, 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 are frustrating. Right? Because there is a narrow, reduced, specific thing that God is trying to have us do. Let's turn real quick to a few more scriptures to kind of prove the point here. Turn to Ephesians 2.10. Give you an idea of what we're talking about, what the scriptures kind of speak to us about. Ephesians 2.10, what's up there? says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God, God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are, let's put it in, 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 like in you, you are his workmanship. You were created in Christ Jesus for good works here on planet earth, which God has prepared beforehand for you, that you should walk in them. There is something out there here on planet earth that you have been created to do. It's reduced down to what's there for you. Now it's saying a lot here. First of all, it's saying you were created. So you were designed for something. If I tell somebody one thing, they may do it or they may not. I could tell uh, I could tell a little kid, uh, go paint, uh, go go paint the, my kitchen, and they're gonna throw paint everywhere. It's gonna be horrible. I could tell Danny, Danny, please, sir, man, paint my kitchen, man. It's gonna be perfecto. It's gonna be perfect. I'm gonna be like, dang, Danny, because Danny is created that way. Little kids, they were created to make a mess. You know what I'm saying? And so you are created, you are his workmanship for certain things. There's certain purposes that has been prepared already for you. Let's go to Psalm 37. Psalm 37:23. Psalm 37:23. 
is up there also. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. The steps are ordered. Other versions say ordained. So there are steps that are ordained for you. There are works that have been prepared beforehand for you that you should walk in them. There is a narrow way, a reduced way for you that leads to life. It might be difficult in a sense where there's a rubbing, there's a compression. There's, there, not everybody's going to be walking in those same works. So you kind of bump into other people. They're doing other works and you're doing your works. And it's kind of a, a rubbing or a bumping. Uh, you have to be clear as to what you're doing. If you just go, go out there and do anything, you may not accomplish anything. You'll accomplish nothing. But if you specify, I need to accomplish this today, and you stay focused enough, you, guess what, will actually get it done. And when you get it done, it brings life. It brings satisfaction into your life because you, had, you did the thing that were, you were supposed to walk in for that day. We, I think we need to go back and have a heart for this. We need to really uh, think about this. Like, man, am I tuning in to exactly what um, there's, that's out there for me every day? Because it's important. The life that you're designed to, to bring forth is very, very important. You are the life bringer outer. You're the, you're the one that brings the life. You're called out ones. You're the chosen by God to bring forth this life. And you have to understand how important that is on planet Earth. If you don't do it, then who's going to do it? Now, God's merciful. Sometimes he uses just anybody to do that. But often, people bring a whole lot of problems. I've been in different neighborhoods and been in other countries where they're not really bringing forth a whole lot of life, but they sure are good at bringing forth problems, corruption, and trouble. Uh, it's everywhere. And then you finally get to the point where, hey, where can my life make a difference? And, and it can. Now we're going to look at one more scripture. All right, John 15, 16. No, no, yeah, 15, 16. I was reading the wrong one. All right, go. John 15, 16 is up there on the screen. You did not choose me, this is Jesus speaking, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. I'm going to stop there. That you should go and bear fruit. Jesus has called you. For whatever reason, you're here today, you in your lifetime, you've had this experience where God chose you. Another scripture talks about nobody can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. And as the Father draws you to Jesus, you have an experience with Jesus that changes your life. His spirit comes in contact with your spirit and you become born again. You have inside of you the ability to bring forth life. You have inside of you the ability to have develop a relationship with God the Father who is a spirit. You have a, the ability to hear what he's trying to say, to understand the instructions and the details of your life, and to begin to operate in that way before you're walking in darkness. This one guy told me, hey, man, I need some help. I'm living on the streets. This guy was a Christian. I know him, and I got upset with him. I said, you're not, he said, I'm homeless. I said, homeless people don't speak in tongues on the weekends. You're not lost, man. You choose, you're living, you're, you're going, you're camping. 
You're not lost. You're living on the streets because you choose to. You're a born-again believer of God. You speak in tongues. You're baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's your choice. But a homeless person is lost. He's living in darkness. Has no ability to find direction. Is completely disconnected from God. Is in total despair and confusion. But when God comes into you, there's a light, there's a guiding, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. And he has chosen you to go and appointed you to bear fruit. Fruit that remains. Fruit that makes a difference, that brings forth life. It's something that's very important to God. Like, this is what it's all about. I have called you for this reason, to appointed you for this reason, that outside, inside of you and coming out of you will be fruit, life-giving results. And that this that's coming out of you will make a difference. It will remain. It won't be like, oh, that was a waste of time. That person, man, they're just, you know, they're just, you know, whatever. No, they're going to say, that person, man, made a difference. That was very important. That was really needy. If your car is not working and you can't get to work and you talk to somebody that fixes your car, you're about ready to kiss his feet. Thank you so much, man. Thank you so much. Because you can't get to work. It was important to you. If you're starving and somebody's got some food and you're, you're really, really hungry and then you eat, you're like, oh, man, thank you so much, man. Thank you so much. I needed that so bad. Okay. What that person did might seem commonplace, but it brought life, right? It, 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 it did what it was, was supposed to do, and you see the results. And as we live our lives, we need to think about these things, right? There is a narrowed-down experience in your life and in my life. There is an experience where day in and day out, there's specific instructions, there's something that begins to register within you. For me, it's always in the morning. If I don't wake up early and get my head straight, I get cranky. Don't, don't bother me in the morning. I've had people do it. In Panama City, they bug me in the morning. It's like knocking a beehive. Boom, the bees start going, stinging everybody. Uh, I told them, you're starting up a beehive. I'm just telling you. But once I get my head straight, once I know what I'm supposed to do that day, it's off to the races, you know what I mean? Everything's fine. Everything else is just a matter of getting it done. That's a day in and day out experience. But definitely our lives are not this broad sweeping just whatever. Where, you know, just your whim. Like, whatever is good for you and whatever everybody else is doing, whatever, you know, who, who cares? And not even really talking to God, not even knowing that you're dependent upon God, not even embracing the opportunity for specifics in your life. That would be a really, really bad, bad uh, thing to miss out on because, like I said, we only have one life. In the military... Uh, they have different expressions. I've never been in the military, but I've heard they have different expressions. And one of them is, don't mean to be vulgar, but this is somewhat vulgar, embrace the suck. Have you ever heard that? Embrace the suck. And the idea behind that is, would you think this was going to be easy? You're in the military. You know, so either you can whine like a little baby, and these soldiers are obviously not going to put up with that, or you can embrace the suck. You can just get it done. And I heard that a few years back. I really did enjoy that idea. <clears throat> that, and I find that in the Bible where the path is narrow and difficult. Sometimes in your day, 
Do you agree with me? You just have to embrace the suck. It's hot outside. You don't want to go down to Birmingham, but you got to go. You got to get this done. You got to talk with so-and-so. There's stuff that you do not want to do. But you have to be honest with yourself and say, you know what? I've got to do this. This is what I've been assigned to do. I must get this done. I have to embrace the suck. I have to do this. And God is holding me accountable to this. And as we're familiar with these type concepts, he trusts us more and more. I know this person, if I tell them to do this, even though it may be a little thing or a big thing, they're going to know that it's from me and they're going to start getting it done. And when they get it done, it's going to bring forth life. Life for the kingdom of God. Life for God's purposes. For whatever reason that was important to God, it was important enough for me. Whatever reason God is emphasizing certain things to you, it, it ought to be important enough for you. You, you, you must say, man, there, this, this is coming up inside of me time and time again. I guess I better get this done. I don't really want to get it done, but I guess I better get it done. And for whatever reason, you get it done. I have a house with the vinyl siding. And the problem with vinyl siding is you got to clean it. You know, it gets like mildew everywhere. It looks kind of, it changes the color from blue to like black, I guess. And uh, I don't know, maybe you enjoy it, but uh, getting out there and cleaning the siding of your house is my definition of bracing the suck. I mean, you're out there, chlorine, uh, the, you, I use bleach and a brush, so I don't have a pressure washer. So I'm out there and bleach is all up in my skin and my face. It's a million degrees outside. I'm getting sunburned. I'm soaking wet because you're splashing water everywhere. And you're up there on a ladder and the neighbors are just staring at you. Yeah, look at that guy. He works too hard. You know, uh, what is he doing? He ought to have a pressure washer. I'm like, you know, and you know, it's, you're not getting paid for. I mean, you know, it's, it's not exactly a, a trip to Disney World, let's put it that way. But you get to the point where you ask yourself, am I going to let my house just go and get run down, or am I going to embrace the suck here? Am I going to do this and get this, get this done? And so you bust out the, the water, the bleach, the brush, and you clean the side of your house. Cutting the grass. I know you guys love cutting your grass, right? But if you don't cut the grass, it's community police force called Hueytown comes by and they give you this little ticket on your front door saying you're going to be sprayed with chemicals or something. They get really mad at you or fined or I don't know what. They just get real bent out of shape if you don't cut your grass. So you got to get out there and cut your grass whether you like it or not. Some people don't mind cutting the grass, but other people, they would do anything on planet earth besides cutting the grass. They, they just hate it. They think it's ridiculous because next week or two weeks later, guess what you got to do again? You got to cut your grass again. And so, you know, it's just like, oh my gosh, when is this going to stop? But if you're honest with yourself, when you cut the grass, afterwards it looks pretty good. You're kind of like, hey, I kind of like pulling up into my house, you know, with the grass cut and everything done. And everything. It kind of feels good. You kind of rest. Everything's done. You don't have to worry about it. When you haven't cut the grass, you're stressed. Oh my gosh, I got to do that. I don't have time. It's too hot. It's going to rain. You know, it's a burden on you. Get it done. It produces life. Just do it. Right? Just get it done. Now, all these things uh, God has in store for us. Might be a lot of different small details, and there might be some major big projects. But today, I just want to emphasize the fact that his instruction is to enter through the narrow gate. We don't have the right to just come up with all of this stuff on our own, like they did back, back in the dark ages. We just can't invent what's good for us. 
But Jesus is the head of our lives. Jesus is the head of the church. He's so merciful, he's so loving, and he's so wise. He's not going to guide you in the wrong direction. He's going he's to guide your life in a fantastic way. And if you trust him, as you talk to him, and he narrows down the specifics of your life, then you're going to see, as you get those things done, it's going to cause you to define life. To find, just, it's going to open your eyes. And as that becomes a habit, you'll see, man, I already know how to do this now. I'm going to find life. You just watch. And it might be a whole other season. It might be wintertime, you know, and it's a whole, you might be even older, but you've learned the habit. And as you hear from him and you recognize it and you begin to do it, you already know the results. They're coming because you've done this a hundred times, a hundred and one times. It's bringing life. And so you get used to it and used to it and used to it. Entering through the narrow gate for you would be just commonplace. I've entered through the narrow gate for 14 years. It won't be some major revelation. Every Christian should enter through the narrow gate. That's the great opportunity that we have because it's personally designed for each person. He's saying one thing to one person and one thing to another, and it's so liberating. You don't have to copy somebody else. You get to do you. You get to do exactly what's designed for you. That's an awesome idea. That's an awesome life. To do what you've been designed to do, to find the life that God's caused you to find, and to share that with those around you. That life comes out of you, and it just, just I don't know, just radiates around. Uh, you're not uh, stinky, smelling good, you know what I mean here? You're radiating something positive around you. You're having a positive impact on, uh, on your community or on planet Earth, you could say. And, and you're bringing life around you. Amen? I want to invite the worship team. I'm, I'm wrapping this thing up. We're early. It's okay. If you guys want to come up, we'll sing a song and we'll wrap it up. But I want you guys today to put this to the test. All right? It doesn't have to be that long. It doesn't have to be that complicated. But I just want you to ask Jesus for yourself as, you know, we sing or as we do what we do. Ask him, hey, you know, Lord, what do you have for me Say it this way, if you would, today, this afternoon. Like, what's important? Narrow it down, God. Narrow it down to me and this afternoon, even if it's just one thing. He, may, he might just roll off four or five things. I don't know. It might just be one thing. But one thing is better than nothing. What is it, oh God, that you have for me this afternoon? And, and if you hear something, and you begin to, it begins to narrow down to specific instructions, you take that to the bank. You do that thing. And it will cause life. Maybe he'll tell you, you just need to rest today. You need to chill out. Put your feet up and relax. You go out there and you relax. It's going to bring life into peace into your... He might say, go out there and cut the grass. I don't know. He might say, yeah, it was like two weeks too late. But whatever it is, let us... Give him the opportunity to speak to each one of us. Amen? Let's give him the, the, the rightful place and say, God, what are your specific instructions? Now, come Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever, you can continue on. But today, just start with today. Amen? If you would, stand up. We're going to pray, and then we'll start the song. If you would, just stand up.
Father, we come before you. We thank you for your great love. We thank you the, for each person here. We thank you that you've created each one individually, that you understand each life, and that there are specific instructions for each, each life today, this afternoon. Father, I pray that we would hear your instruction, that we would, we would hear specifics for, for today, Father. Let tomorrow worry about itself. Let us hear what you want to say, what's important to you to say to each life today. In Jesus' name, amen. morning I see you in the sunrise every morning it's like a picture that you painted for me a love letter in the sky 